If you want to be looking up the scripture reading this morning, it's from Mark, the 12th chapter, primarily verses 28 to 34. Um, if you recall this uh, section of verses, uh, back at the end of chapter 11, uh, Jesus has shamed the chief priests and the elders, put them to silence. And so they turn around and they send uh, the Pharisees and some Herodians to ask him other questions. And he puts them to shame as well and answers their questions well. So we're near the end of Mark chapter 12. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Excuse me, debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any questions. Guys, sometimes, maybe you've heard of this, but guys, men, sometimes blanch at being asked to say, I love you all the time. They're like, honey, if you can't tell that I love you by now, I mean, I said I do, didn't I? Doesn't that cover it for the next 50 years or so? What do you think, Dale? Did it cover it for you? (laughs) No. Uh, Girls, sometimes... Well, that's a touchier subject. We won't go there. (laughs) That's a sermon for another day. But sometimes we have a hard time either showing or telling I love you in our relationships. I asked the other day, I asked everyone... You know, to to raise their hand if they liked it for uh, for people to say their their spouse or their boyfriend or girlfriend or whoever it is that a relationship they're in to say I love you and everyone said yeah that's important and I said how about uh, if someone to show you that they love you well, yes that's important then I asked who would prefer that someone tell you and not show you and not a soul raised their hand 
because we would all rather be shown love ultimately. That's the most important thing. And so it is with God. So it is with God because He would rather us show Him with our actions and with our life that we love Him than simply to uh, tell Him on Sunday mornings that we love Him. And so that is the topic specifically of today's message, worshiping God with your life. We're in this series on worship, and essentially we've said that worship is giving God the credit that He deserves. Giving God the credit that He deserves. It has everything to do with God and very little to do with us, even though sometimes we get that turned around and and, and believe that worship is about us. And when we do, things get all out of whack. But when we remember that it's about God, things seem to run along pretty smoothly. The world in which we live, they have a knack for taking the credit God deserves and giving it to themselves or giving it to power or giving it to prestige or giving it to uh, any number of things. But we, as Christ followers, are called to give that credit only to the one who deserves it. So far in our series, we've looked at uh, that worship is, is our response to God for who He is and what He's done. That He is God Almighty, worthy of worship, whether He did anything for us or not. But that He did do amazing things for us, and therefore He's worthy of worship because of what He's done for us as well. We've looked at the fact that we are to worship God together, when we're all together like this. Uh, just like last week, we shared about the importance of singing our worship together. Unity is an important part of worship. But it's also important that our worship be not just when we're together, but throughout our entire lives. And that's really the topic today. We've also talked about how uh, we are to worship God by not only what we say, but how we live. And again, today, we'll talk about that. This week we examine the fact that Those who love God live for God. Those who love God live for God. If you're taking notes today, you can write those in, fill those in. We just heard a portion of that story of the showdown between Jesus and these religious leaders of his day. You know, we tend to think of Jesus as a pretty friendly guy, as a pretty loving guy, as a pretty gentle guy. That's how we portray him in all the pictures you see of Jesus. uh, He's either smiling or just looking gentle, right? But he wasn't always gentle, and there were some people he was downright rude with. Those happened to be the religious, most religious people of his day. Which might come as a surprise when you think about it from that perspective. Here are the most religious people of their day. Everyone viewed them as the most godly. As the most righteous. As the ones who had it together. As the ones who understood God and His law. And these are the people that Jesus got rude with. Got short with. Got angry with. And uh, they didn't like Him much either. And so, in the beginning of this chapter just read for us. Jesus tells a parable about some guys that were tending a, owner, a, a field for a guy who was kind of ten, you know, owned it long distance. 
And he would send a servant to go and collect some of the goods that they were growing on his land. And they would attack the servant, beat him, and send him back empty-handed. Or they would kill him. Until he finally sent his son, the owner sent his own son to this vineyard, and the workers killed his own son. And we can kind of see, can't we, what Jesus is talking about. Because God sent his son, and they killed him. But for the people standing there today, I think it probably went over a lot of their heads. But those extra smart, extra educated religious leaders that were standing there knew that he was talking about them. It says that in the scripture. They knew it. And they hated him all the more for it. And so they started plotting. How can we trip this guy up? And so ensues this whole battle of the wits, if you will. Where they're asking him tough questions and trying to put him into a corner where he can't uh, get himself out without losing some friends or losing face or getting himself in some serious trouble by his answers. And finally it comes down to this last one that was read for us. And the, the guy asks him, what is the most important commandment? Now in, in Jesus' day, this was kind of a hot topic because you had different religious groups. Even then there were, you know, we deal with denominations today. They may not have called them that back then, but they had their differences of opinion about things. Imagine that. And so one of the things was about regarding the law. See, by the time Jesus had come around, the, the Jewish leaders had managed to pile up about 600 rules and laws. 600 that you're supposed to live by. And they worked overtime trying to meet them all. You know, as, as though God's law wasn't difficult enough, before you start adding to it, they had added and added and added until there were all these rules. Now, some people in that day thought that they were all equally important. Every law, you break one, you've broken them all, kind of thing. Others of them thought some laws are more important than other laws. You know, maybe they thought the Ten Commandments should take precedent over some of the more, what they would call minor laws. And so there was kind of a division. So they were trying to see where Jesus fell in all that. He asked them, what is the greatest command? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Those who love God live for God. We're going to look at that statement that God made, that Jesus made about the greatest commandment. And we're going to break it down through the heart, soul, mind, strength that he talked about. Now each of these words, when you look at them in the original uh, Greek language in which they were written, a lot of them are kind of interchangeable. And they, but they all kind of cover these main ideas that we're going to share today. So, the word heart, I could call it emotion. Emotion. So if you're filling in, you can write down emotion. Now here's the deal. We all deal with emotions at some level or another. Even the most stoic person you know, they have emotions. They may not show them much. How many of you got emotional when you watched Bambi? 
<laughs> I see a lot of hands, all right? And if not Bambi, then certainly if you watched Lion King, I know you teared up a little bit when Simba's dad died in that scene. That was terrible. <laughs> I know as a kid, that was a tough one for me. And here we're talking about a fictional presentation of a fictional story. Fiction on top of fiction, and we're moved to emotion. We're emotional creatures. That's how God created us, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think it's interesting sometimes that we can get emotional about Bambi more than we get emotional about what God has done for us. And uh, there is nothing more emotion driving, if you will, than what God has done for us when we stop and think about it. In some church groups nowadays, emotions, well, not just nowadays, always, emotions are sometimes kind of viewed as the win, the goal, the victory. If we can make everyone get really emotional, then we must have had church today. In other church groups, emotions are kind of viewed as the enemy. And, uh, you know, to them, a great outpouring of emotion has no lasting value. It's just a temporary high, and so we should avoid it at all costs. People make decisions while they're on that emotional high that they can't keep when they come down from it. So let's just stay away from the emotions side of things. Seems to me that a, a more balanced approach would be appropriate, and not only appropriate, but biblical. Because for the Christian, there's nothing that can compare and nothing that has the power to move us the way God can when we realize just how great He is and just how much He's done for us. And so, if you ever you know, feel bad about getting emotional or feel bad about not getting emotional or wonder whether you should show your emotions, emotions are part of us. It's part of the way God created us. And he doesn't frown on it when we get a little emotional or we feel touched by what he's done for us in our lives, even when we express it. Another word Jesus used was soul. To love the Lord, live for him with your very soul. And that word can actually be translated life. With life. In fact, it's translated life more or just as much. It's right neck and neck. Half the time they... they uh, translate the word soul and sometimes they translate it in your Bible as life they're kind of interchangeable so in a sense we're to worship God with our very essence our life who we are but we talk about that with regard to our spouse or our boyfriend or girlfriend Loving them so much we'd be willing to give our life for them. And that is exactly what God asks of us. That we would love him so much that we would give our life for him. We're to worship, we're to live, we're to love God with our very essence. Which, with that which endures about you that will go on from this life when your body dies we believe that your soul lives on and is with that very essence of who you are. What makes you, you, and what makes me, me. We're to worship him with 
all of you, with all of me, with everything, as we spoke about the other day. God is asking us to love Him so much that we give up everything, yes, even our life, for Him and for His glory. Jesus goes on and He says to love the Lord with your mind. This really encompasses two things, and so I put down two things, intellect and will. Our understanding and our purposing to do something. People use their minds for a lot of things nowadays. Ran across this nifty invention that someone came up with. Apparently what you do is you attach this grill to your muffler and your tailpipe and uses the exhaust from your car to cook your burger as you drive down the road. Now who doesn't need that? I mean, you just throw your burger in there and then you head across town Pull it out, you don't even have to take a lunch break. I mean, this could revolutionize business. <laughs> Tell you what, you could probably cook that thing just driving down the short little bit of Thomas Road there when the traffic's thick. You'd skip having to run in Chick fil A or something. I mean, people spend their mental energies on some funny stuff, don't they? <laughs> And we can probably all think of something just about as worthless that we've wasted our mental energy on at some point. (laughs) Maybe not quite. For the believer, we're called to worship God with our minds. To apply our minds to things that are worthwhile. Our understanding, the more, like I said, the more we understand God, the more we're going to be drawn to worship Him. But it's more than just growing in our understanding of Him that Jesus is looking for here. See, this is also where we commit. We decide in our mind. We will something. It's the great song, I have decided to follow Jesus. There's a certain amount of this following Jesus thing that it's not just how we feel in a moment, but it's a decision. It is a willing to do something, a commitment. That's something that we might say is lacking from a lot of marriages nowadays, the commitment part of things. Perhaps sometimes people get married based off of an emotion. When that emotion fades, they say, hey, we're done. I don't feel it anymore, baby. I wouldn't take that grenade for you anymore. (laughs) So we're done. But God's kind of love always has to do with commitment. Sometimes he calls it a covenant. But it's a decision, a willing. We're saying, God, I'm going to love you. I'm going to strive to follow after you even when I don't feel it. Even when I don't feel like you're there for me. Even though when I'm asking you why, God, and I don't understand what's going on in my life. I've decided that I'm going to follow you and trust you and love you through it all that's the kind of love that's the kind of worship that he's describing strength he says we're going to call that action one of the ways this plays out is in serving and we're going to talk more about that in uh, couple of weeks, but 
Worship and serving often go hand in hand. In fact, this word strength shows up in another spot in 1 Peter in a verse that says this, If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. That word strength is the same word that Jesus used. Strength. Strength to serve in 1 Peter 4.11. It's the kind of strength we need to serve. To serve God, to serve each other, to serve those in need. And so, God wants our worship, our love, again, to be more than what we just do here at church, to be more than what we do even in our devotional time with Him, our prayer time. He wants it to be what we actually do with our lives, day to day, at work, at home, how we treat our families. It also has to do with Strength with whatever ability, whatever power, whatever influence, whatever wealth, whatever position, whatever strengths you possess, be they great or be they small, how can you leverage it for God and for His kingdom? How can you leverage it? Your position at work or with your family. Whatever money he's entrusted to you. Whatever influence he's given you, whether you would admit it or not. How can you leverage it for him and for his kingdom? He's interested in us loving him with all of our strength. With all that he's given us. So how does all this play out in our together worship time here at Cypress Street on Sunday mornings is the first question as we kind of wrap this thing up. Well, as we gather to worship, I kind of think we should engage all of ourselves in worship. Our heart, soul, mind, strength. Our emotions should become inflamed at some time on Sunday morning to some degree as we realize and as we sing about and as we hear about and as we read scripture about what God has done and who He is. We should grow in our understanding with our mind and we should will and decide each week to serve Him better. And I think also we should express our worship with all of our strength. Yes, even physically, with our body language. Express our worship to God. He wants us to worship Him with all of us. Our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That doesn't leave much out. And so in our time together, I want to. Ch- this is just kind of a, an aside here. Almost a soapbox, but this is just something I talk about from time to time. Sometimes I've heard people say, well, it doesn't matter when I worship, how I look on the outside because God sees my heart. Have you ever heard or thought that one? But two things about that. One is, the rest of us don't have that nifty gift that God has. And all we're stuck with is just you (laughs) on the outside. 
That's what we can see. And if the church is to be an edifying place, a place of encouragement and of building one another up and of challenging one another to worship God and Him alone, then probably we should show what we're feeling on the inside a little bit on the outside just for the benefit of our neighbor. And the second thing about this is, yes, God sees your heart, but have you ever stopped to think about that He sees your exterior too? And how do you think He feels when we wear a grimace while we sing victory in Jesus. Because he sees that too. <laughs> Not that I saw any grimaces today. I wasn't, I wasn't checking off any names while we sang victory in Jesus. I just happened to use that as the example. But our worship should be filled with the kind of joy that we claim that he's put in our lives. So I just challenge you about that. And now I'll get off my soapbox. And we'll move on to how does this play out in our personal lives? There's a part of that passage that we haven't really talked about yet. Jesus went on after saying what the greatest command was to say that the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And there was this religious leader that was present. He's the one that asked the question. Who said, that's a good answer. He said, you're right. He said, we should do those two things. Loving God and loving our neighbor. Even, those are even more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And all that stuff put together. And Jesus said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. He didn't talk that nice to very many religious leaders. So I feel like that guy was kind of on to something. And Jesus seems to almost breathe like, oh, here's one of these guys, at least almost gets it. See, they were all caught up in religion. And dotting all their I's and crossing all their T's and doing all these things. And they were missing out on the most important commandments. By the way, it should always serve as a reminder and a warning to us that the people who Jesus took up issue with so often were the most religious people of his day. And so we also, as religious people, need to be careful and guard against the same traps that they fell into of making it all about the religion, the stuff that we do, and forgetting that ultimately it's about loving God and loving people. That's what God wants from us. He wants us to show Him that we love Him by the way that we love others. I think that's why Jesus put those two commands together like that. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And ultimately, how do you do that? Except by showing that love to others. That's what He asks of us time and time again throughout Scripture. Even in the Old Testament, when you look time and again, he's reminding them to take care of the people in need around them. And so that's why these commands are so close. One is the greatest command. The other shows us how to fulfill the greatest command. And that is to love your neighbor as yourself. Those who love God live for God. And living for God means loving others. 
Remember our old statement from the love series that I did when I first got here? It went something like this. When we show others that we care deeply, especially those who don't expect us to, we put the love of Christ on display to the world. Let's pray together and then we're going to stand and sing. Father, I thank you for this challenging message. It challenges all of us because you're asking so much, God. But Lord, you've never asked more than you've given. And so I pray that you would help us. Help us to live for you with our whole life. Help us to live for you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Take our lives, Lord. May they be a beautiful offering for you. We pray in your Son's name. Amen.